Happy Friday! I'm Quinn Emmett, and this is Important Not Important Science for People Who Give a Shit. The newsletter features the most important science news, how to think about it, and what the hell you can do about it. Hit subscribe right now so you get this audio newsletter every Friday, plus our conversations with the world's smartest people on Mondays. You can find the digital version and links to everything at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Hope that's long enough for you. Or just write in your show notes. And of course, you can join our community and support our work by becoming a member. Work alongside some truly incredible people on the front lines of the future. Join monthly live AMAs, as the kids call them, with me and special guests. Get exclusive special reports and quarterly updates on the business. And get invitations to share your work and participate in working groups and panels. You can do that, again, at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Or again, there's a link right in your show notes. It's Friday, May 6th, 2022. In climate change news, the subcontinent is burning. India and Pakistan, home to 25% of the world's population, have suffered record high temperatures for much of the last month, a situation where, according from the New York Times, the combination of heat and humidity could rise to a threshold where the human body is in fact at risk of cooking itself. That theoretical limit is a wet bulb temperature, where a thermometer is wrapped in a wet cloth, counting for both heat and humidity, and that's about 35 degrees Celsius or 95 degrees Fahrenheit. This is the part where I stop and try to encourage you to always think of the various global warming scenarios from 1.5 to 3 or higher in terms of impact. What and who is it affecting? Uh, People, animals, ecosystems, crops, and oceans, all the various systems dependent on them, both natural, so soil, and man-made, air conditioning. When we talk about the second biggest city on the planet, so Delhi, suffering through days and days of 110 plus degree temps without air conditioning, we're talking about, but not talking enough about, 20 million people unable to escape the heat. We're talking not only about mitigation to make these heat waves happen less, like eliminating new coal in China, please stop that, stopping the money pipeline to new fossil fuel infrastructure, uh, building the U.S.'s biggest solar plant, and stopping deforestation everywhere, but also adaptation to protect ourselves now for what's already baked in, sorry for the metaphor, like distributed grids, heat pumps instead of air conditioning units, and growing more wheat in less threatened places. Because what India is witnessing now comes as average temperatures there have risen by about 1 degree Celsius or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit since the beginning of the industrial age. And so this is what's already happening with a 1 degree rise. Remember, if every government actually fulfills their current pledges, we're headed towards an increase of 2 degrees. So what's next? Some of my favorite climate scientists came together this week to help us better understand the hot model problem, which is not what you're looking at here, but unfortunately a situation where, as they described in Carbon Brief, the latest generation of climate models includes a subset of hot models that point towards much greater warming than expected. Yet, multiple lines of evidence based on observations in our, their, understanding of planetary physics suggest we can confidently narrow the range of climate sensitivity and, crucially, 
give less weight to those high-end estimates. So no doubt, it's getting hotter already, and it's going to get even hotter. But not as hot as we thought before because of the progress we've already made, and probably not as hot as high-end projections if we, one, tweak the models, which is projecting the impacts, and two, actually get our shit together, so mitigating those impacts. Here's what you can do. Here's your action step. Public ESG investing might be in the shitter right now because, one, there's no standards. It doesn't mean anything. And two, there's no regulations to back up those made-up standards. But there is a whole hell of a lot of money being poured into climate tech startups, and that's awesome. No one covers that sector better than my friends Kim and Sophie over at Climate Tech VC. You can subscribe to their free newsletter to keep up and to get involved as a founder or investor or coder or any of those things. In COVID news, here's your vaccine equity update, which is that it really hasn't changed much. Just 15.8% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine, and 34.6% of people worldwide have received zero doses. So when is a surge not really a surge as we know it? About a month ago, as a larger segment of the West became increasingly vaccinated and we dragged ourselves out of Omicron version one, there was a notable shift from worrying about case counts like we had the past two years to focusing on hospitalizations and deaths. I'm sure you felt the change, whether you're still masking up indoors or not. A lot of people were just done. Cases are growing again in most places, thanks to those increasingly lax social protections, if any, and a new variety of mutations. Hospitalizations are growing too, though slower in previous waves or surges, and conversely and thankfully, deaths are actually falling for now. So let's break all that down. Raw case numbers are, and I've written about this a lot, misleading now. My relatively educated guess is 75% of real cases are testing positive at home and thus not actually included in the reported totals you see, or not testing at all. Thus, reported totals are probably only about 25% of what's really out there. So trends do matter. But regardless, people don't care about case numbers anymore, and, and that includes the government. Hospitalizations are rising, but not as much as during Alpha or Delta or, or the Omicron peak. It's all relative, of course, but in truth, what happened is we've normalized both a higher baseline and one that is comparable with the worst flu seasons on an ongoing week-to-week -week basis and a lower goal for vaccines. Only 30% of folks in the U.S. have a booster, and the again, the global first shot stats, vaccine equity, that's not really changing. This higher baseline is acceptable for a lot of folks because, frankly, the vaccines work so damn well. People who can receive them are far safer than they were two years ago. So the cases and hospitalizations just aren't linked as much as they were before. But also, psychologically, we're exhausted and hellbent, seemingly, on making something endemic that just isn't there yet. There are variants on variants. Most are more transmissible than the last. And vulnerable people are still more vulnerable. We still don't know how non-hospitalized cases contribute or not to long COVID or to things like significantly altered microbiota. So we know more about the boosters now, too. One recent study pegged booster effectiveness against hospitalization at a stellar 85 percent 
less than three months after topping up, but just 55% after the third month, which is obviously a little less good. And now we know more about Paxlovid too. Again, it works to reduce severity if taken quickly. It's Tamiflu a little bit in that sense. But Pfizer said in a press dump this week that the antiviral medication doesn't actually prevent transmission. And uh, weirdly, an undetermined but real percentage of users are experiencing unexplained viral rebounds after finishing the five-day course of treatment. Of course, the treatment also remains very difficult to find under President Biden administration's plan for a test to treat. So look, science is fucking hard. So much of this is new. It's really great that 2,000 people aren't still dying every day in the U.S. from COVID, but total deaths are way higher than commonly reported. And the vaccine paid time off, childcare, and those antivirals like Paxlovid are nowhere near equitably accessible, like most things in America. This is all why I truly believe we're only, if finally, in the end of the beginning. So here's what you can do. Keep an eye on the COVID poops dashboard. It's wastewater tracking, and it'll help you understand the prevalence in your area. And you can share that with your family, with your office, with your local school system and your city. In food and water news, the USDA has a strict set of labels for meat raised without antibiotics. The problem, as it turns out, is that the USDA doesn't actually require empirical antibiotic testing to validate their use, which is just so great. So here's how to understand it. If you still eat meat, which a lot of you do in some way, you've probably tried to buy local meat or grass-fed meat or both, and almost probably meat raised without antibiotics. You might know then, or from reading the newsletter, that there is a regulation limiting drugs to fuel animal growth. But everything else around antibiotics, such as disease prevention, is voluntary. Not surprisingly, then, a new study claims upwards of 15% of beef cattle labeled without antibiotics are not that. And so here's the implications. Because we give 80% of our antibiotics in the U.S. to these animals in industrial agriculture, those drugs bleed into our water and our food chain because we're eating those animals. And again, because they're basically as old as time and will outlast us, some bacteria inevitably survive those antibiotics, and then those ones evolve and pass those genes down, and they become resistant. Sometimes in as quickly as 11 days, and those resistant bacteria kill at bare minimum 35,000 Americans a year. So yes, massive policy reform is required here. But in the meantime, and as usual, there's more than one way to come at this very systemic issue. And if anything systemic, it's bacteria. The implications of eating less meat for you, for me, for everyone, for the land, for the forests, they aren't just about outthinking these ancient one-cell organisms, but slowing, for example, massive devastation from deforestation too. We're losing about 10 soccer fields every minute to deforestation. There's even one new report that says eating just one-fifth less meat might have deforestation. So as with everything, let's do it all. What you can do is check out the NRDC's beef scorecard to show you how all the fast food joints and everyone are doing for the antibiotics. And you can also use their tool, even if you don't eat there, to tell Wendy's to just stop fucking around because they're doing a terrible job with this. So in health and bio news... Let's talk about abortion. The nine United States Supreme Court justices this week, let's go over the justices, all of whom have lifetime appointments. Three of them 
were appointed by a president who has been accused of sexual violence by 18 women, who lost the popular vote, who was impeached, who wanted to, one, shoot missiles into Mexico and then pretend it wasn't us, two, shoot black protesters, and also who later attempted a coup and fueled an insurrection, during which his vice president was scheduled to be hanged. So those same three justices most recently swore under oath that Roe versus Wade was settled, and then they were confirmed by a Senate under minority rule. One of those three justices was himself accused of sexual assault, and a fourth, confirmed much earlier, is married to a conspiracy theorist who actually took part in said insurrection. Anyways, this week, it was revealed they provisionally voted to the score of at least five to three and possibly six to three in favor of overruling both Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. The final vote, probably coming in the next couple months, will end constitutional protection of abortion rights in the United States and hand duties back to those states. Many of our states have laws in place once that vote happens, to immediately ban abortion at some point early in pregnancy, no matter the cause of said pregnancy, whether it's consensual or forced. So all in all, the leaked brief reveals this specific vote is probably just phase one of dialing the United States back to pre-1967. But that's just in isolation because we're just talking about the United States here. Here's the thing. Forced birth would still be a moral crime in a country that has universal health care, a mandatory paid maternal leave, mandatory paid sick leave, low maternal uh, death rates, affordable child care, affordable preschool, mental health care. You guys know America's not that country, no matter how much we keep fighting for it. There's a list of those countries and they're in the newsletter, but most of them don't do forced birth either. You guys are probably aware that American public health is in shambles. Pre-COVID, we weren't ready for a mass disabling event like long COVID. Post-COVID and post-Roe, we're not ready for so many more women and babies suffering poor mental health, going poor, going hungry, and dying, especially as natural disasters mount from climate change, where women are proven to be even more vulnerable and attacked. So keep in mind, pregnancy is about 14 times as lethal in the U.S. as a legal abortion, because that's just what we do. So here's what to look for. Look for medicinal abortions to rise and a very complicated telehealth landscape. Look for data privacy in period and pregnancy apps to become much more fraught uh, than they already are. Please be careful using those apps. Already, Reddit has become a quote-unquote pseudo-underground gathering space aimed to facilitate abortions in an age of diminishing access. Look for those state and local races to become even more important than they already are because, again, now they're the ones that are going to write those laws. So, look, Americans are going to help one another. Just because six justices and 51 senators are pro-life, the majority of Americans polled just this week, 58% of those polled do not want Roe overturned. But that's not how the Electoral College works. Here's your action steps in order. One, and again, these links are right in your show notes and in the newsletter, donate in one place to a swath of abortion access funds in states where abortion is severely restricted or will be banned if Roe is overturned. Two, read the article about whether or not to delete your period tracking app. And three, if your corporation has or has not spoken up about the vote, send a note over to Jed Lugum over at Popular Information, and nobody does corporate accountability better than he. In computer news, 
the cost of cyber attacks are mounting. Uh, with business email compromise, as they call it, alone, that's where hackers or fishers, assholes, impersonate someone you trust, cost us $43,312,749,946 from 2016 to 2019. Everyone from hospital administrators, big hospitals, rural hospitals, to corporate hiring managers who are getting phishing emails in resumes are under attack. And ransoms are honestly becoming an expected piece of profit and loss statements. What the hell are we going to do about this? It's just disaster management. The best we can do is mitigate and prepare for the worst. Start with two-factor authentication. Turn it on everywhere you log into anything. Download the Authy app uh, for your phone. I love it, recommend it. Turn on two-factor for yourself, uh, for your family, for your coworkers. Remember, your data is my data. It's all connected, that's the point. The Fido Alliance, AKA Fast Identity Online, not a dog rescue shelter, gained three big members this week, and this is a big thing. Apple, Google, and Microsoft will jumpstart an effort to move from passwords to hopefully secure on-device biometrics because we're fucking terrible at creating, using, and remembering passwords. A wider glimpse, Connecticut just this week became the fifth state with a data privacy law. President Biden has asked everyone to get ready for quantum computers that blow up cryptography entirely, and farmers with preciously few profits on complicated supply chains and thus pressure to pay up are under attack too. Here's what you can do. The Rand Corporation put together a cool primer on preparing for cyber attacks and ransomware starting at the local level. Again, have a read, share it, talk to your city council about that. 10 things from my notebook this week. Folks, uh, we should talk about what's lost when we use the terms ESG investing versus sustainability investing. Telehealth might be in a little bit of trouble, not surprisingly. Cerebral is under investigation because they've been prescribing ADHD drugs like Adderall all over the place. We've got to find a better way to track methane leaks because they're heating things up quickly. In America, e-bike sales are outpacing electric car sales, which is awesome. Fossil fuel profits are through the roof while you're getting fucked at the pump. Texas is the new earthquake capital of the U.S. thanks to drilling. Good work, everybody. Are we getting closer to solving multiple sclerosis? Great question. Las Vegas has outlawed grass. Good move. If batteries are getting cheaper, why aren't electric vehicles? And lastly, from our friends at the 19th, Jane Fonda has a new climate pack. Of course she does. She's the greatest person alive. Um... That's the news for this week. Hit subscribe now right in your player or right there in YouTube if we're on YouTube. So you get next week's analysis straight to your feed. To go deeper on any of the news or to find those action steps, go to newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Thanks for being a part of our community. Thanks for giving a shit. Have a great weekend.